This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hart Spade. And we're here for a fun episode, just me and Matt today, uh, talking about one-hit wonders from the aughts. I am very excited. I feel like um, a lot of the 90s ones that we discussed, I mean, those songs I legitimately love, and I think a lot of them kind of crossed over into like the alt rock modern rock whatever kind of universe but a lot of our picks today i feel like are more pop r&b not exclusively but there's more one hit wonders from that kind of bubble yeah that's true actually Uh, maybe it was a sign of the times yeah yeah because uh yeah i mean i feel like you know in the beginning of the aughts that's kind of what was going on in music it was like a lot of pop and r&b kind of you know tinged you know, pop as well. And it was just like, that was the thing that was kind of really popular at the time. And then like a little bit after that, like indie rock kind of popped into the mainstream and began to get more and more popular. And like, you know, hipsters started, you know, going, you you could find a hipster everywhere, not just Williamsburg. (laughs) Exactly. But what's funny, I think, like, in the late 90s into the early 2000s was very much, like, TRL culture and mm. kind of this resurgence of, like, unabashed mega pop with Britney and Sync Backstreet Boys. But then it was kind of paired with, like, that terrible, like, new metal nonsense. So, like, if you'd watch TRL, it would be, like, Britney at number 10, Limp Bizkit at number 9, number 8 was Corn, <laughs> and number 7 was, was, you know, I want it that way. So it's kind of... <laughs> It's, it's a very interesting dichotomy. And then I feel like that once that kind of fizzled, it kind of led its way to some other kind of pop stuff that wasn't as bubblegum. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like also around that time, I feel like a lot that influenced music was like internet radio or mm-hmm. like music that you could like stream. And those like, you know, some of them are still around like KEXP and KCRW that mm-hmm. kind of like really you know, rose in popularity. And then uh, I think also because like they're programming, you know, but like, uh, you know, Waxy as well. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we had Shiv on previous episode Mm -hmm. who was the music director there. And yeah, like the rise of Coachella and like Mm -hmm. music festivals like that really kind of contributed, I think, to certain like this genre of indie that kind of like became really popular but then really kind of blew up you know mm-hmm, from there mm-hmm. and now i don't even know if you, i mean like is indie rock still indie <laughs> i don't even know i feel like honestly i feel like the term indie rock in my view is kind of dead because i, I whenever i i kind of break it down at this point into two camps either something is mainstream or indie period regardless of the genre so 
I don't know. I think in general, if you look at kind of the trend of music over the last 10 years, there's fewer and fewer rock bands, there's fewer and fewer rock singles. I mean, if you look at like the Billboard charts or what's nominated for a Grammy, it's like it's all pop at this point. You know, I think there are multiple reasons why that is. But I think people at this moment in time are kind of tired of rock shtick. I don't know. Mm. You know? Yeah. And honestly, yeah. very few bands from that alternative era, like, survived to present. I mean, there's a handful. It's like Foo Fighters, I guess the Chili Peppers. There are only a few. Everyone else, it's like, it's done, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not cool anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, we have a list of really fun uh, one-hit wonders that we came up with to talk about on this episode. Some of them are, you know good you know in a relative way (laughs) some of them are not good um let's just be blunt but um i think what's funny is like for me whereas like when we were discussing harvey danger the last episode like i legitimately could still sing along to that song and get very much in my feelings and like i want to do karaoke and i still think that's a classic 90s alt rock song some of this stuff i look back on and it's just a total LOL. And I think yeah. that's also, you know, sometimes a, a good memory is attached to a laugh as well. So, like, there's stuff on here that is, I feel like, so cringy. It's almost camp and it's almost like comedy, you know? Yeah. Do you think that it's because this kind of era and time, like, you know, online was kind of exploding and things were becoming more like viral? So, like, things that did get like a laugh tended to get passed around or circulated and people like have a laugh about it that's a great point i i agree i agree and i think with some of the stuff we're going to talk about today um there was a sense of some sort of viral uh, moment that catapulted the song in one way or another yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally probably like myspace right <laughs> yeah like, well then... myspace and then you know there's someone else on here that is just going to be so hilarious to discuss who had an SNL moment that went haywire that that will revisit. But that also went viral, like in the very early days of YouTube, you know? Yeah, YouTube as well, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, and like just content in general became like a thing. You know, mm-hmm. do you want to pick one from the list? to talk about yes i'm actually going to double it up for this one because both songs have the same title even though they are very (laughs) different from one another but i feel like one kind of flows into the other so these are both uh from the aughts they are both by fierce black women the first one i chose was blue cantrell oops hit him up style and the second one was tweet oops oh my so (laughs) (laughs) lots of oops going on and no britney involved um (laughs) um, weird uh, right Uh. with blue cantrell i just feel like that song was such an ultimate like f you you screwed me over like woman power uh i just love like the 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 tacky lyric of her taking his credit card after he cheated on her and going to Neiman Marcus on a shopping spree. That's amazing. (laughs) And she brought her friends with her. I think it's just, it's so amazing. It's kind of, in a way, I feel like the parallel was like the pop, another song I love, um, also kind of a guilty pleasure, the pop country uh, crossover song by Carrie Underwood, where she's like, pissed off and she's, uh, she's destroying the guy's car. I forgot the name. Oh, if he, before he cheats. Oh, right, right, yeah. So I I love this song. And then with Tweet, I feel like that is like the ultimate like 
self-love kind of song along the lines of like Divinals I Touch Myself, Cindy Lauper, Shebop, but a lot more of a 2000 spin on it. And it had Missy Elliott. So anyway, I'm rambling. But what are your memories of these two tracks? You know, I feel like I never really know, knew what a hit em up style meant. <laughs> oh, like does it mean something in particular? I don't know, but <laughs> I, I just never knew what it meant. Oh, know? okay, okay. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking about it today. I was like, what? What is she even talking about? I mean, <laughs> like, but I feel like you explained it like the story of like, you know, like a cheating dude and like she wants to kind of get revenge i guess yep. and she's doing it in style yep exactly <laughs> that's what it means <laughs> you know the song had a recent resurgence because it was featured on an episode of um rupaul's drag race this season uh, oh. it was the lip sync song and and i had forgotten about this track for a long time but it's it's such a power anthem to me i kind of love it yeah I, I don't know yeah i mean like it's a fun song it's i feel like it didn't really like stand up for me uh-huh <laughs> like, uh-huh stand the test of time and uh uh, you know, I between the two, I I would say that tweet was probably like you know I would I like that song a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love anything you know attached to Missy Elliott and yeah. Timbaland and like you know they like uh, co-produced this album I think or what mm-hmm. you know they were producers on this album and it's just that the lyrics they're, <laughs> the lyrics are the funny part for me. <laughs> she was eyeing so her cool. thighs. <laughs> It is pretty bad. One thing I'll say, the production of the song, I think a lot of Timbaland stuff for me sounds very dated. Like if you kind of listen back to some of the Justin Timberlake stuff and Mm -hmm. even some of the Missy stuff. But I feel like this song in a weird way sounds current. Like I could almost, I feel like, like I wouldn't be surprised if if FKA Twigs said that this was like a reference point. There's some sort of line there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it's still silly as fuck. Oh, yeah, it's silly. Lyrics, but yeah, I like your explanation of it, though. It's like a modern day divinals. I touched myself. That's perfect. <laughs> I also think there's something funny about like just in the course where she's like, oops, there goes my skirt. There goes my shirt <laughs> up over my head. Like it just flew off. I don't know. Something about it, is, yeah. it makes me giggle. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> what about yeah. a, a pick from you? Well, um, I'd say maybe, I guess we could talk, well, if we're talking about funny songs, definitely like tattoo all the things she said. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, there was like this whole thing in the beginning, right? Where people were like, is this a gimmick? Like, are they just pretending to be like lesbians or like a couple? Because they were like whatever making out in the music video for uh the song and um and i actually don't really know the answer to that (laughs) i i think for a long time they tried to play it off as if they were a couple and then i think ultimately they were like uh it was a shtick we were acting we're not lesbians in fact i think they're both married to men so (laughs) yeah Yeah, honestly it didn't even seem like they were that into kissing (laughs) it seemed like so cringy and forced yeah, just kept thinking like, oh, like probably some male dude, you know, on their team was like, you need to do this, to be, you know, to be a hit. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. I think it was definitely like a marketing tool, a gimmick, mm-hmm. a, a shtick. And 
I think that they were expecting to have mega international success. In reality, this was pretty much the only hit. They also covered The Smiths' How Soon Is Now, which is <laughs> amazing. Amazingly awkward. Um, but this was, yeah, like the big radio single. But it wasn't... I don't think it was as huge and they didn't have as big a moment as maybe they were hoping. But, you know, when I was Googling them to see what the hell they're up to, they only broke up in like 2011. So they kept this going for a bit. Yeah, I don't know how, but I mean, I also like, I was like, I was reading, they performed at the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics in like 2014. I was like, oh, oh, I I missed that. (laughs) Not that I watched the Olympics, but like, you know. It's funny because even though they didn't go on to like, yeah, mega stardom, they were uh, the first Russian act to have a top 40 single. And they're okay. still, well, at, at least according to Wikipedia, the highest placing on the Billboard Hot 100 for a Russian act. So, you know, in oh. some ways they achieved some stuff, but, okay. Okay. you know, still like just a... Uh, an LOL group for me. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like a, a sad ace of bass or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good parallel. Um, yeah. What about you? What's another song you kind of thought? Okay, so, um, I don't think this is your favorite, but I, this is a very bad guilty pleasure. <laughs> Ashley Simpson, Pieces <laughs> of Me. <laughs> So this was the SNL performance I was kind of teasing uh, in the intro. I feel like most people recognize this song as the one from that SNL episode where the track was playing, but she wasn't singing and it was a big controversy at the time. (laughs) And she kind of did like this little dance that was very uncomfortable. I I feel like she got way too much shit for it because, I mean, let's be honest, Britney was lip syncing. Lip syncing was a thing. And I think the plan was for her to sing over it like so many pop stars do. But... I think just the timing of the track playing too early and her not being ready, it just was, it went, it it went awry. But um, something about this song, it's so terrible because it's, you know, obviously they tried, this is Jessica Simpson's younger sister. They tried to paint her as like the mall punk, gothy, like emo girl. And you could tell it's obviously mm. very put on. But something about this song for me is kind of along the lines of like, a Kelly Clarkson like mega power ballad type of thing. I don't know. It's so it's so bad that I kind of <laughs> love it. And I actually was just listening to it before we re- started. We press play or press record on this episode, and I was like, I don't care. This song is so terrible, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> uh, you're right about it being terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly like I couldn't remember this song, and like I didn't watch the SNL thing, but. Obviously, I heard about uh-huh. it. I guess I just had no interest, you know? And when I don't have mm-hmm. interest in something, I just, it's like blocked out of my memory or whatever. But, you know, so, Absolutely. but I listened to it just to see, like, do I know the song? And maybe I just don't know that I know the song because that happens sometimes with, um, like, the more poppy stuff. And, um, no, I, I don't know the song at all. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> so, sorry. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, my God. That's fair. Um, It was pretty much the only track of hers that really got any traction. And then I guess now she's doing something with her husband, who is Diana Ross's son. And I think they make, like, cheesy, romantic, like... I don't even know who the audience is really, but now now they're that that's what she's up to now. I think once she married into the Ross family, I don't think she really has to worry about, you know, money. Let's be honest here. So I think they're just having fun. 
Must be nice. Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick one from like, I think like the indie world a little bit. Yeah. You know, as we said earlier, it was really a time where it's like kind of crossing over and, and which was kind of a thing that kind of blew my mind and picking the rapture house of jealous lovers mm-hmm. you know they were like dance punk and i remember like going to see them at bowery ballroom and i don't know just something about it was like felt very epic like i was like going into this like party that was happening and just being like lost you know in the crowd a little bit and everyone's freaking out and you know it's also like funny to see like in you know indie rock dancing you know like people dancing in the crowd Mm -hmm. so that was like kind of a thing where like indie rock went from like you know gazing at your shoes to like actually kind of being energetic and it's interesting to kind of like hear that they didn't like the band like didn't like the song you know it was like co-produced by james murphy and tim goldsworthy from dfa and Mm -hmm. when they first heard it when the band first heard it and like sub pop heard it uh, which the band was on sub pop at the time they both like didn't want to release it (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) Mm. i didn't realize that it's a little it's a little crazy to like think about and then the whole marketing plan really for the release was like get it to club DJs which is so smart yeah the yeah. kind of track it was and it really like catapulted them and um, you know with its excessive use of cowbell <laughs> you know? Exactly. I mean, for me, I was listening to and playing the Rapture on my college radio station when the mm-hmm. first EP came out and they had a track on it. I can't recall if it's the title track, but the first track on the on the EP is called Out of the Races and Onto the Tracks and I played that song constantly. It's a great track. I remember seeing them at the Black Hat in DC just before mm-hmm. this album came out, just before Echoes came out, and they performed all of Echoes and it was obviously more of like dancey electronic themed. And I just remember being stunned because it was not what I was expecting because the EP was more yeah. like garage rock. But that said, I was very into this album and I definitely saw them a, a bunch of times when they performed this album. The, the album following this, I I wasn't as into. But this is a this is a great single from that time and just like going out and dancing. And I, I would say it's within my like top 20, like, early mid 2000 like indie dance yeah staples yeah. you know I feel like it's a little bit iconic of that time that sound and mm-hmm. so you know i feel like i have to mention it <laughs> it's it's a great track and you know it, it's interesting as we kind of you know delve into the idea of a one-hit wonder like part of me is like wait but the rapture had lots of stuff but you know what at the end of the day if you were to ask me, like, name as many Rapture songs as you can in 60 seconds, after House of Jealous Lovers, I could probably name two or three more more, and then kind of be stuck. Yeah. So this they are essentially, you know, for all intents and purposes, a one-hit wonder. I mean, this was probably the only track of theirs that got played at the clubs, that got played on indie yeah. radio. You know what I mean? So essentially that's, you know, this is maybe a, a bit of a left stream example of a one-hit wonder, but still yeah. it qualifies. What about you, know. you? What's another one that you want to talk about? Oh, goodness. I feel like everything on my list is so cringy. I'm going to go back into something very cringy, and I'm going to go to Andrew WK, oh, yeah. Party Hard. <laughs> <laughs> God, he. I just feel like he was such a douchebag. And I, I never, I mean, 
I picked this song more so because I have a, a story around Andrew WK than than anything else. The whole concept of Andrew WK and and everything being mm-hmm. party related, every single song, every album title, all that nonsense, and his whole look with the white t-shirt and the blood. I mean, it, he definitely carved out a certain mystique around him, I guess. The music I just did not really enjoy. I remember seeing him live and I was like, what is, I don't know if he's taking himself <laughs> seriously know. or not. I didn't know what to do. It was just, I, I was a little lost. And then, so my story is at South, okay. At one point in time, he was the spokesperson for... <laughs> I don't know how to describe this product in a safer radio, safer podcast way, but I'll just say it. It was called the sex, what was it called? Sexy Swipe, something like that. It was a product that was put out by, I want to say Tampax, and it was like for a woman to use pre-sex so that she's fresh and clean. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vagina it was like a baby wipe. <laughs> yeah. I want to say it was called, it might have even been called like fresh and sexy or something. Anyway, it was, I remember like Pitchfork was writing about it. I'm like, why is he this, what? Whatever. Then I was at, I was at South by Southwest and I got an, this was, I don't even know, 07. I don't know. I got an email from someone on this, this fresh and sexy Tampax team. And they were like, do you want to get a free box of it and meet Andrew WK? And I said, um, of course I do. Yes. Why are you reaching out to me about this product? And also like, uh, so random. So I assumed it was going to be like a big press event where he like hawks this product and speaks in a press conference and asks questions, answers questions and all this nonsense. And I just assumed it was going to be kind of an orderly event. And I wasn't the only person receiving this invitation. Oh, no. (laughs) So I show up there with my friend Britt. And we're waiting for other people to arrive and nobody's there. We're the only people that I was the only person that got the invite. I got a plus one. So the only there one was like a step yes. and repeat in everything. <laughs> that's what it was. You're absolutely, that's what it was. I am going to include this photo in our social post because I definitely have a photo with Andrew WK while we're holding oh up the fresh God. and sexy swipes. <laughs> Anyway, I just figured that was such a random story. I had to include it. And Andrew WK apparently is still going strong. I went to his website. He's still selling bobbleheads and signed merch and cameos and everything else. So I I do not know who his fan base is now, but yeah, that's my story. They're all like people who used to party hard. (laughs) Exactly. Now it's sleep hard. They could have called the product panty hard. That would have been funny. Or maybe that's like too risque. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, I wouldn't have bought it. Um. No, I don't know if people actually purchased this. They purchased you. Um, yeah, I, I also was very confused about Andrew WK for a while. Like, you know, yeah, he's party hard, like whatever. Um, but then he would like try, I think sometimes he would act like he was like performance artist to like try, you know, cause it's like, mm. it's like weird. It was like lowbrow, but like he's trying to be highbrow and like, I don't know. And you're absolutely right. I thought that was like a little bit too much. It's like. No, dude, you're 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 basically a little bit of a joke artist in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I, it seemed like he took himself seriously, though. You know what I mean? 
I, you know, I think at the end of the day, yeah. he did take himself seriously, which is the problem. I feel like if he took the piss out of himself, then it wouldn't have been as yeah as cringy. Like he's always trying to be like know? intellectual and like you know speaking of things and like in in a way where you're like, dude, you wrote a song called Party Hard, like it's not that. Deep. <laughs> like, Every single song title yeah, is party I, related. Know, come, like, on. come on, like no. <laughs> You're right, though, about the element of, like, I'm a performance artist. Um, I mean, I could see what what he was trying for, but for me, it wasn't a success. It really, like, I always remember this one time where I don't even remember what it was, but I feel like he was on some kind of interview or something, right? Some part of a variety show or something like that where he wasn't, like, necessarily performing or whatever. He was just speaking or, you know, something. And then after the show was over, he just stood on stage you know like frozen just like mm-hmm. for a really long time and people were just like coming up and oh, like God. staring at him like he was a you know a sculpture or something and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> like, like just get yeah, off I know. stage it... <laughs> like, go home. yeah yeah exactly you know it kind of reminds me though of like uh, an artist that i want to talk about uh the darkness yeah go ahead I believe in a thing called love oh yes um yes. you know i think uh they're like a band that also is kind of like funny in a way, like a little bit of a, a laugh as well. You know, they're really good though. Like, I don't know. There's just something like, I was actually never that into them. Really, you know, I actually didn't hate this song, um, but I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, the darkness, they're awesome. Like I never was like that. And then I saw them like much later, like in 2016, they played Festival Supreme in LA. I was like, oh man, they booked the darkness? Why'd they book the darkness? Isn't that like <laughs> totally like 10 years ago? And like, you know, they were actually pretty good. So I, was like, <laughs> I was like really impressed. I was like, he can still hit those notes. He can still jump around the stage. Like I was like, okay, <laughs> bring that energy and like, you know, I feel like, I don't know, somebody uh, who was booking bands over there, like, definitely was, like, a huge fan or something. Because, like, why else would you book The Darkness? I don't know. I'm sure. Maybe it was Tenacious D. You know, that's Tenacious D's, like, festival. Like, maybe they're Darkness fans, mm. and that's why they were on the bill. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense when you think about, like, Tenacious D. You know, they're a funny, you know, band uh, because of Jack Black and all of that kind of stuff. So, kind kind of making sense for me now but um i just love that there's just something charming about them and uh that made them likable actually when i saw them live i really like dug the energy maybe that's mm-hmm. just an example of like how a band's ener- live energy can like maybe kind of convince you to like like them a little bit and mm-hmm. i also think it's funny that this was like their third single <laughs> from their album so it wasn't like their first yeah single. you know usually it's like the first single that kind of hits or maybe even sometimes the second but this was the third single so mm-hmm. yeah i wonder why that is that the first two didn't have the success of nobody this knows one. what they're called but um no, i don't know <laughs> no i wouldn't be able to tell you i don't remember i mean i just remember like obviously i mean you could tell what their reference points are i mean all the glam rock stuff um you know, I mean, in a sense, you know, they were kind of bringing something back that nobody had brought back in a long time. So they kind of like figured out their own path. And this song is a really good 
like pop song. Like you want to sing along, and it's 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 also terribly cheesy, but um, it it weirdly works. And you know, I, I have never seen them live. I'm actually shocked that they were booked in 2016. <laughs> yeah. Like I, to me, that's like wow. I don't have much to add. I just remember like the hair, the outfits. For me, it was like really mm-hmm. kitschy and. It shouldn't have worked, yeah. but somehow it did. Yeah. It was like the 80s, but in the aughts or something, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. What about you? What's another song you want to talk about? Oh, goodness. How about Macy Gray, okay. I Try? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like she was heralded as like, she was going to be this mega star. I remember like all the buzz around this song and that album, and she got, you know, all this Grammy attention. And then... It just kind of fizzled. I actually saw her open for Santana oh <laughs> in New Jersey. I was dragged to that show. But anyway, I, I think part of the reason, unfortunately, why her career hasn't taken off in spite of her, like, I mean, she does have a one-of-a-kind voice. Whether you like it or not, nobody else has yeah. that kind of range and that kind of, mm-hmm. like, smoky quality, at least not living. I I think she's difficult to work with from everything I've heard. And I think that that has kind of stunted her career. In fact, there was a venue that I was working with that was considering booking her. And I guess just her reputation kind of follows her. And we we wound up not going with it. And I mean, I think it would have been cool to see her at this point, 20 plus years later after the big hit. I don't know. I mean, I kind of I enjoyed this song back in the day. I have no interest in ever hearing it again, but I feel like this was a very big hit of 2000. Yeah, this was a huge hit. And I, I, I agree. Like, I think there was like all this hype around her. And then, I don't know. You, you just don't. I, although I think people still respect her and stuff because I still see, you know, like hear mm-hmm. her name being thrown around here and there. I don't really have much to say about her, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think about her too <laughs> regularly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. wanted to kind of pivot a little bit and yeah talk about uh the hives who i love and oh my god this is the, the hives i just want to say before you hop in that like they're just an amazing oh, live act so still good. right <laughs> you know i saw them i remember seeing them like uh like at a festival in spain and a casim and they're just so charming and like you know it's just so catchy and like everything that I would think like of a, like that would make a band cheesy. They just somehow pull off. <laughs> like so. Yeah. I just love them so much. And I feel like hate to say I told you so. It was just like such a just just like you put it on and you just like can't help it. Like it's still really good. It's still catchy mm-hmm. as fuck. And, you know, still gets me going like I love it. I think a lot of their earlier tracks are super fun. I remember also really loving Main Offender. But in terms of like the big U.S. single, it definitely was Hate to Say I Told You So. You know, I think uh, in a similar fashion to Andrew W.K. and some other acts at this time, uh, the White Stripes, you were starting to see indie acts like in a certain uniform, so to speak. And that became more of a thing which you hadn't seen really in a bit. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the first time I saw them, I had just turned 21 and I saw them at Black Hat in D.C. And they played a 45-minute set. They actually had a clock, literally like a gigantic clock, digital, on the, on the stage. And they performed exactly for 45 minutes. When it started, uh, Pele pressed like go. And then the set ended like the last 
guitar lick was when it hit zero and they left. I was like, how wow. did they time that so that's, perfectly? That's so it's crazy. Uh, but it was like a, a great show. And I think, you know, it's it's a strange thing to say maybe, but, you know, it was the, the gig took place just a few days after my 21st birthday. And I just remember like that was the first gig I ever went to where I had a beer <laughs> in my hand, you know. And it's, it's a strange memory, but it was a really oh fun one gosh. to drink at. Yeah, you, you know? have to drink a beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could touch on some, like, really quickly, like a little lightning round. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Donnas take it off. I feel like the Donnas were also really hyped to be, like, the next thing. All women, badass, kind of punk-inspired, kind of poppy, and then it didn't really happen. But this was kind of, this was like their crossover MTV hit. And it was kind of badass, you know? I mean, I don't really think about them much. I don't listen to them. I haven't listened to them in almost 20 years. But I think this is a fun yeah. single. No, I, I, you know, I think uh, I, all the same things, you know? They are cool looking, you know? They're called the Donnas. So it kind of reminded you of, like, the Ramones and, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, there are girls and they, but they had like the you know the attitude of like Joan Jett or the Runaways something like that and then like um, just like catchy guitar hooks actually the guitar on, on their tr- on this track is like pretty pretty good <laughs> it's not as mm-hmm. simple as like mm-hmm. the Ramones or something like that it was pretty like complex mm-hmm. so I give it to them. I want to talk about Peaches real quickly. Fuck the pain away. Oh, my God. I, I still oh love Peaches God. to this day. But obviously, this is like her forever yeah, most iconic song. I think, song. you know, maybe some wouldn't consider one hit wonder. But like, this is her like, you know, song. Like, I always think about this song with her. And like, you know, this album teaches of Peaches. Like, I mean, it's just like, a, it's, you know, so like bold, but like cool and like you know, sexual and just like, uh, just like a cool beat. And the song also was like never recorded in a studio. It was recorded live, which is like my, it's amazing to me. It's the only, she had never performed the song live ever before. And then it just so happened that the, uh, sound person was recording it, I think on cassette and then was like, do you want a copy of this? She's like, yeah, I guess if you listen to the song, if you listen very closely at certain points, you hear someone going <laughs> woohoo. And it's literally someone in the crowd. Cause there were yeah. like four people in the room and the, uh, the person who was capturing the audio, it, it picked up the sound from the girl screaming oh, and it was so kept in the good. song. I mean, she's amazing. If you ever so have never seen her live, like she is amazing. Oh my and God. Like, when I saw her, the last time I saw her, it was like at Bumbershoot uh, festival in Seattle in 2015. And, she played like the the stadium there and at Seattle Center and like geez like it was like crazy to watch because like it's a giant stage it was like this elaborate setup and she was doing everything herself which I guess like I didn't really like realize like that's mm-hmm. what she does and she's just like mm-hmm. running up and down and like whatever and like she specific specifically told everyone she needed to like run right after the show and she had her luggage by the stage and then like after the show you just see her like go to the luggage and like wave bye (laughs) amazing that was amazing (laughs) i have seen her many times through the years it's always incredible she is 
She's, I mean, she's otherworldly. She's incredible. And what I love about her shows, especially if you're in the front, you almost feel a sense of danger. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know what she's going to do. If she's going to, you know, I don't know. There's nothing predictable about a Peaches show. And I think that's what kind of adds to the magic of it all. The only other thing I'll say, I can go on and on about Peaches, but the only thing I'll say is that a couple years ago, I was working with an artist who was performing in Berlin and he had invited Peaches to the performance and she had never confirmed if she was going to come or not. And I was like, I hope she comes, blah, blah. And then because I was in the press row, she did come and she had a press ticket. We were sitting next to each other oh, and I was shit. losing my shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had to just say and say nothing, do nothing, pretend like I didn't know who it was. And I was like, oh my God, Peaches is sitting next to me. I was, oh, I was freaking so out. So many times. Um, and then actually. Pretended not to know the what person was that? <laughs> standing next to you or sitting next to you just play cool just play cool yeah i i think we've all done that i mean uh, one other quick memory is when i saw the stills many many years ago at shanae i was standing next to paul banks of interpol and at that point i was a mega interpol fan and i just had to you know (laughs) play it off you know but yeah, Peach, Peaches, for anyone who's listening who has never seen Peaches, once everything reopens and she's tours again, you must see Peaches live. She's oh unbelievable. Gosh. What about you? Another quickie? I think I'm just going to throw this one in, not because I enjoy the song, not because I think it's a quality song, but I think it was such a staple of the 2000s and because you still hear the song on Light FM and in the elevator and at the laundromat and at the supermarket is Vanessa Carlton. Oh my gosh. A thousand miles. <laughs> Come on. You hear that piano riff, those first, like, 11 notes, and you're like, fucking Vanessa <laughs> called in a thousand miles. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, did she ever make her way downtown? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I Yeah. I don't have much to say about this song. <laughs> but I, I will say briefly that, like, I remember a moment in time when Vanessa Carlton and Michelle Branch were kind of like the Britney oh, Christina. Oh my gosh, of the, Michelle of Branch. Like... That's who I was trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this. she was like part of like a, a, a bunch of, you know, girl singers, songwriters that were coming out and stuff. Yeah. Totally. But they were definitely trying to like pit them against each other as like the dark haired 20 something mm, singer songwriter right. or whatever. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, I can't listen to either one of them. But this song somehow has survived the test of time. I mean, I feel like I still hear this song once yeah, every couple months no, somewhere. This is a good one, you know. Uh, not really. But um... <laughs> speaking of not really, can we talk about the yes. bravery and honest mistake? Yes. <laughs> now, I know that we briefly touched upon this with the episode with Bill Paris from Brooklyn Vegan, but like. God, the bravery were so hyped up to be this incredible act. And boy, were they stinky. I mean, this is a (laughs) prime example of like hype over substance and like style over substance. That's why they didn't really last. Although I, I, you know, I see them on like, you know, if you think about indie one hit wonders, I feel like they come up a lot um, in lists and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. An honest mistake. It says it all, right? <laughs> I'm sure this album is like somewhere in middle America in the 99 cent bin of a gotta used be, CD be. store. I also you know? love, like, you know, not to talk about them too long, but like, I just love that they, um, I read that they promoted themselves on the internet as one of the first bands on MySpace. Like, okay. <laughs> like, 
Well, that singer, I forget his name. That guy's look was so right out of a MySpace <laughs> profile. Like he, I mean, literally, like he was like yeah. the archetype. They were like no? the king of hairspray, you know, for sure. <laughs> God, was it bad? I don't know. There's so many that I want to talk about. Clap your hands, say yeah. Um, skin of my yellow country teeth. Like there was a point mm-hmm. where they were like, so huge so popular like everybody fucking loved them you know what i mean i feel like they were one of the first bands that like the blogs really really were clinging to and then you know they had a i mean that's what catapulted them for sure they were never my thing because like his voice for me was very (laughs) grating but i mean this song this song was catchy enough it was fine i actually in our little shared notes document i see you mentioned the tour at the national at the time i was a big national fan and i saw national clap your hands i saw that tour at bowery ballroom and i was very into the national album alligator and at that particular show they were flipping back and forth like who was headlining at that particular show clap your hands were first and national were headlining and there was so much buzz around clap your hands like i just remember 90 percent of the room left afterwards and i just thought y'all are missing i mean at that moment in time i was a big national fan now not so much but like God, I I don't ever understood that to leave yeah. before the headliner. I mean, that's you know? you know buzzworthy bands. That's what happened. You know, it was like the flavor of the moment. But um, now I feel like mm-hmm. if they were both on a bill, the national would headline. But I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? Oh no, for sure. No, the national now is like huge, huge. I mean, the I feel like over the last couple of years they did shows at like Forest Hill Stadium here in New York, which holds a good ten thousand yeah. people, maybe you're, more. You're right. It's crazy. There's some leftover tracks here that I just want to hit really quickly because they're just so funny. Go Electric for it. Si- uh, Electric Six, Danger, High Voltage. Dude, I mean, I felt like they were a joke band. Were they not a joke band? Yeah. I think they, they were. Didn't they also have a song called, gay like, Bar? Yeah, I met gay him bar. at a gay bar. Gay bar. Yeah, okay. Bar. <laughs> 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 the... I definitely saw them at Bowery Ball. So, like, back there's in the day. an actual singer and stuff. Because, like, what was I reading? Like, like people were like kind of rumoring that Jack White was really the one who like did the vocals or something. I don't know. It's so weird. Oh, I didn't hear that <laughs> conspiracy theory. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just like uh, an unfortunate Wikipedia entry or something like that. I love that the New York Times called the song catchier than anything on the radio by the White Stripes, though. So it makes me think there was some kind of White Stripes <laughs> connection. Maybe it's just because they're both from Detroit. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Also, Weedus, Teenage Dirtbag. I mean, that's now a, that's a, that's good, a song. good song. I don't care. No, yeah, it's a good song, but it's like <laughs> yeah. funny, you know, and it's like it's like the song everyone sings along to at karaoke night, you know, it's so good. It's such a good karaoke song. I, I yeah, still think I that's that a fun song. song. I don't care either. Uh, really bad one. The Killers, Mr. Brightside. Dude. <laughs> Listen, I loved The Killers. I loved Hot Fuss, and then I hated them. But I loved Hot Fuss. And this song and Somebody Told Me, at the time, I thought were fucking amazing songs to go dancing to. The Killers now are like total cringe fest, and I would never, you'd have to pay me to see them. But at, at that moment in time in 2004, I thought both of those singles were amazing. I don't even remember that amazing. second one. But, um, I'm not going to lie. I also, I feel like I'm embarrassed to say that at the time, I also really loved Mr. Brightside. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it might just be that like, because I met them, you know, I remember um, meeting them at Don Hills. Like, oh, that's cool. And I think it was through ASCAP. I used to work for ASCAP. So that was 
probably why I like them, but then, yeah, they became total, I don't know, just not, not good stuff. <laughs> so. No. Brandon Flowers at the beginning was kind of a cutie, yeah, I thought. Creepy? I don't know. In a... Yeah. Well, he's Mormon, that's so that's... That's where yeah. it came from. <laughs> he has, like, seven kids well. now, I think. The Hanson kids, by the way, just very briefly, that the Hanson kids are all Mormon, and I think combined they have 21 what? kids. I'm not kidding. Wow. We can continue. <laughs> Too many kids. Wow. That's um, Okay, another kind of jokey band, Fanny Pack, Camel Toe. Yeah. This was I fun. I really like this one. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's still, yeah. like holds up in a way just like as far as like having a fun song with like kind of a cool beat i didn't actually realize this was like on tommy boy records though like I was that like, i had what? no idea it's actually a lot cooler than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but it reminds me of like those songs where like you know it's kind of like they they take like a funny thing and they turn it into a song like uh gillette remember gillette short short man yeah, I it has that kind of vibe to yes. it and <laughs> I don't know I thought this was a song maybe I made it up but I thought there was a song called somebody farted but I could not find it on Google <laughs> can I tell you I saw that in your in your notes and I was I was busting I was cracking up <laughs> what did you talk about? I swear there was a song I don't I remember like, that somebody farted so hard they made a hole <laughs> and then they were like <laughs> they're like oh yeah <laughs> oh my god but oh my honestly, god i can't wait to google this google song afterwards farted, and like the first song that comes up is like very close to it but it doesn't have all the lyrics that i remember <laughs> oh my god my search engine and my cookies are gonna be all fucked up after that one <laughs> yeah search it on spotify though some weird shit comes up <laughs> Oh oh yeah. my God, I think that's I'm so ready funny. to move on. <laughs> okay. I think we should go into our little bit of like our deeper dive kind of sort of like mini repeat skip segment where we spend a little more time on select Sounds tracks good. from this era. Why don't you go All right, first? Well, I'll start with like kind of an obvious one. Uh, Peter, Bjorn and John, Young Folks. Mm. I know some people might think the song got overplayed, uh, but I, I love it. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. the one song that I like associate with them uh, so much. And, uh, you know, Peter Morin, like, I, I love his vocals. Um, I still love the whistling. I love that the girl vocals are sung by Victoria Bergsman from the Concretes, because I also was a huge Concretes mm-hmm. fan. And Yeah, me too. I don't know. I just love everything about the song. It's catchy. It's fun. And it's got girl-boy vocals, which I, I love songs like that, and have that kind of interplay. And uh, I met, actually, uh, Peter through Doug Marvin from Dirty on Purpose. I think he would, like, tour manage them. And then when he was on the road with them, sometimes he would, like, uh, if John wasn't able to make it, the drummer, uh, he would, like, fill in for him. Or, like, he would go on stage and play bongos, which I thought was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so that's kind of my Peter, Bjorn, and John young folks thing. Do you have any memories I mean, I definitely saw them back in the day. I just think this is a great indie pop single. I mean, I, I don't. I think it's as simple as that. It's just a, it has every element, like you were saying. the The vocals are great. The whistling, it's catchy. 
It kind of uplifts yeah. your spirits. I, I kind of, I think it's just a fun track, you know? I can't remember a, a single other song of Peter, Bjorn, and John, which I guess makes it the perfect <laughs> candidate for this, you know? Although I know they had others, but um, this was definitely, like, yeah. the big standout this one. one. everyone knows. Yeah, they were fun. They were cute. I think it all worked. What yeah. about you? What, what's your first deep dive? Oh, goodness. <laughs> the few that I chose for this section are all over the place. So I'm just going to go right into it. Let's do Kia, my <laughs> neck, my back. <laughs> so I feel like this song, in a way, was the precursor mm-hmm. to WAP about a woman saying exactly what she wants in the bedroom being completely unabashed about it. And to be honest, there are no metaphors here. It's like, this is, these are, it's very matter of fact. Um, And to my knowledge, it's probably the first song that that mentions rimming in (laughs) the chorus. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Yeah, so... uh, yeah, I think uh, to this day, you know, I was listening to it in preparation for this episode and I was like, "Ooh, I still feel like this song is kind of filthy because oh, no. it is filthy. Good for her. I mean, this song in a weird way, I feel like is uh, pretty legendary. And yeah, I mean, I love a like a sex positive song. And I mean, this is like yeah. textbook. No, I, yeah. I mean, it was like really it like really took off. Like, I feel like it was like one of those songs that like people would play you know for the sexy bits but in a way it made it like fun almost kind of in a fun way Mm -hmm. so to me like kia like this song it's always like kind of done with like a little bit of a wink and a smile like when if you're like actually singing like no one's singing it like seriously because you think it's kind of funny to like talk about this stuff and but i like the way you framed it in that it was like an empowerment thing where it's like yeah we can talk about Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff and there's nothing wrong with it and talking about what we want and all that stuff so i feel like a lot of people identified to that vibe as well Mm -hmm. all right back to you well piggyback off that a little bit and like maybe talk about larue bulletproof you know, I picked mm-hmm. this because I, at the time it came out, like I was really into it and just remember like listening to it a lot and singing along and stuff like that. But it just um, didn't hold up for me, to be honest, from listening back. And um, that was a little bit of a disappointment. Like, I don't know, for whatever reason in my head, it had like this epic quality to it, like Sia, Chandelier, or David Guetta, Titanium, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just something like really epic like that, but then I was mm-hmm. like listening back and I was like, it's actually not like that at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, not very cool, but I don't know. I think this like one press quote that I found kind of encapsulates, I guess, my feelings on it now. Someone called it the less creative imitation of the classic tunes created by 1980s groups including Depeche Mode, Erasure, and The Human League. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see The Human League reference. I think think for me, what I instantly think of is Eurythmics, actually. Mm. I I remember there was a lot of buzz around her and Little Boots as well around this time. I saw LaRue at Highline Ballroom for the first time when and she performed this whole album straight through. And I mean, I was into it. I mean, uh, but you know, in terms of the, the the tracks that really crossed over, this was the one. And really I was I was shocked when I started hearing it on pop radio cuz I always thought she was like this underground cool, you know, European artist that 
I don't know. I didn't think it was going to make sense next to Miley Cyrus on the radio, but somehow it it did. And she really had a moment with this song. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it probably didn't stand the test of time. It was a fun song to dance to back in the day. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know if that's legitimately her look or if that was like what the label told her to do, but her little like, you know, red faux hawk and her kind of like, maybe that's why I think of Annie Lennox, like her kind of masculine way or androgynous way of presenting it herself. It was like um, 80s retro geometric stuff that they were like pushing on. Yeah. Yeah. So much so, 80s reference. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I almost like wish like somebody like with a really good voice would like cover this song. <laughs> they probably, maybe they have. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like the song itself like has potential, but the voice just didn't like hold up for me, like the vocals for whatever reason. I feel like if you actually think of the lyrics in the chorus, like this time maybe I'll be bulletproof um, or next time I'll be bulletproof. It's kind of like a sad realization that like she keeps getting fucked over. And I feel like if someone were to cover this song in a very serious manner, like as a piano track or something, yeah, it might be kind of heartbreaking actually. You know? Like it has the, yeah. the potential. I was actually reading that when they were coming up with that line, it was like this time I'll be... And then the timing just, like, was never right every time they tried to, like, you know, sing it over the track. And so they added the baby in between. Like, this time, baby, I'll be. And then they were, like, so excited about that one word. (laughs) Changing everything. Okay. (laughs) Because nobody uses baby in a pop song. It's not that revolutionary. (laughs) It's a filler word all the time. Not really. What about you? What's your next I think I'm just going to go for it. Paris Hilton, <laughs> stars are blind. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so she, d- uh, you know, uh, this was the only song of hers that did anything. And, and with, you know, uh, this is a song, another song that should never have worked. But I think for some reason it did in a very guilty pleasure way. This song was originally w- written for Gwen Stefani, which makes sense because it totally sounds like kind of ska you know, mid-2000s Gwen Stefani vibe. I guess Gwen turned it down and Paris Hilton was like, I guess I'll take it. And I don't know, something about this song is kind of like breezy, at the beach, I don't know, having a margarita, <laughs> carefree. And I don't even really care that it's Paris Hilton and, and it's like total cringe. I think it's a fun little pop song. And what I didn't realize until literally this week is that the song has a very like kind of uh, I guess there's this new film out called Promising Young Woman, which I have not seen and honestly don't know the plot line. But apparently this song has a, is soundtracks a scene that is very pivotal to the film. And the song is having a bit of a resurgence right now. So, so didn't realize I mean, that. honestly, I didn't even realize like Paris Hilton had an album. <laughs> like, I was like, she sang? <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Um, and then when I listened to this track, I was like, I definitely did not know about this song. <laughs> I think you had to be gay to know this song. (laughs) No, I just feel like um, in a weird way, like it became like like a song you'd hear at the gay bars. And I don't I I, maybe because it was so ridiculous. At one point, like the biggest like celebrity, non-celebrity, you know what I mean? Like socialite. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. You know, at the time and, um, you know, now there's like a whole documentary, you know, like talking about, you know, like some of the traumatic stuff she went through um, and, you know, kind of just like what it was like for her to be in the public eye and just like dealing with paparazzi and also like 
parental, I guess, you know, um, disciplines that, like, you know, maybe, like, people didn't really know about and then having to go away and being, like, I guess, in this some um, abusive, like, boarding school. But, mm. uh, so actually, like, I that did, like, humanize her for me, you know, in a lot of ways. And then, like, I recently saw, like, Sarah Silverman kind of apologize for, like, jokes she made at, like, MTV Awards or something like that. Because, like, Paris Hilton now has, like, a podcast where she, like, will talk about these things. And, and it is kind of interesting to, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I'm like making fun of the song, but yeah, like that was she was like a big joke in a lot of ways. So maybe I shouldn't be ripping her too hard. But I mean, this song actually, now that you say that it was written for Gwen Stefani, like, okay, now it's like, okay, so somebody sold her on this. Like, exactly. One other thing I just want to say about Paris Hilton is that I think for most of us, including me, you know, you think of Paris Hilton, you think socialite, you think maybe, I don't know bubble head, whatever you think. You think maybe she's kind of like had her moment in the in the aughts and now is kind of a joke. But you know what? Paris Hilton, seriously, has a gazillion brands when it comes to perfume, when it comes to beauty. And she she was, I, I feel like, even though she was the butt of the joke there for a little bit, she really has made a fortune off of her name. And she's still, at least in Europe, maybe not so much in the US and around the world, I feel, even outside of Europe, like a significant name when it comes to that kind of cosmetics well, yeah, universe. I, mean, I think it's interesting you know? to know that like she was probably motivated to like get out of her um, the power hole that of like her parents like fortune or whatever and like be independent and not have to rely on these people who like just didn't let her do you know live her life you know the way she wanted and mm-hmm. you know that's a good motivating factor so yeah you know like she was kind of the first one to really do that you know like kind of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and then like people like kim kardashian like followed suit and were like i can be famous for just being famous and like whatever like it's fine Mm -hmm. not to get off too track i'll talk about postal service such great heights i feel like they were part of that whole like pacific northwest you know explosion of like indie rock or I always associate them with that area, Seattle or Sub Pop. And to me, they're like quintessential aughts indie gone mainstream. I mean, the song, I feel like, became mm-hmm. pretty huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I also love the Iron and Wine cover of the song that also came out in the aughts. love Ben Gibbard's vocals. I think they, they're pretty cool, like unique. And when I was reading about this song where Ben is talking about the song and he says it's the first time he's ever written a positive love song where it's a song about being in love and how it's rad rather than having your heart broken. And I do feel like it has like a very uplifting vibe to it. Mm. To Mm -hmm, me, mm -hmm. this is like it still holds up. I don't know. When I was listening to it, uh, preparing for this episode, I just I still loved it. What about you? I absolutely adore this Postal Service album, the only one they ever put out uh, in terms of like a studio record, Give Up. I, to this day, kick myself that I didn't see them when they toured this originally because I think that would have been magical. I always thought this was a great album and I thought this is obviously such a, a great single and like you said, kind of quintessential, uh, you know, aughts indie. I did wind up seeing them when they quote unquote reunited maybe five years ago. And it's so crazy because when they originally toured this re- this release, they were playing, you know, 500 capacity rooms. And then when they did their reunion tour, 
um, they were playing multiple nights at basketball arenas. So it was kind of crazy. But I did see them it's at Barclays Center. Yeah. I know it is wild. They played multiple. They played two nights. It's crazy. My friend Laura Byrne from the Minor Birds was mm-hmm. their backing vocalist and keyboardist on this tour. And I said hi to her after the show. She got me a back. I've never been backstage at like an arena before, which was weird. It felt like such an aughts indie moment because backstage were obviously Ben Gibbard, obviously Jenny, Rilo Kiley, Jenny Lewis, but also Connor Oberst was there. (laughs) And I was like, this is strange to like be sharing cheese with these people. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I, I think this is a, I think that Postal Service album from start to finish is incredible. And I think, this is a great song. And speaking of that cover, I am not an Iron yeah. and Wine fan, but I think that I, cover is stunning. I love that cover. It's just so simple. It, it takes the very, the, the, you know, the, the Postal Service version is obviously a lot more poppy, but I think when it's totally stripped down like that and with the Iron and Wine vocal that's Sam a little Beam, more like deep voice. and I don't care. harrowing, I think it's it's great. So, I mean, I'm glad you picked this yeah. song. I, I, I could talk yeah. about Postal Service forever. I can, like, forever. literally I, I listen adore, to both adore. versions of the song, the, the Postal Service and the Iron and Wine version, like, over and over again. And it hits me differently. So I love that about them. All right, you're next. Okay, I am going to pick uh, Estelle, American Boy. I feel like I'm really choosing a lot of pop tonight, but... um. I'm just kind of feeling it. And I feel like most of the stuff I gravitated to in the 2000s that was in the one hit wonder category, for some reason, were more pop, pop and R&B. I feel like similarly to some of the other artists we discussed today, like Macy Gray, Estelle was really like super buzzed. And I think that she was on her way to like superstardom. And um, I got to say, this song was a gigantic hit all over the world. Um, it's American Boy which featured Kanye West, but yeah. we won't discuss him because he's obviously problematic and, and irritating. <laughs> well, I won't discuss him because I, I can't with him anymore. But um, Estelle, uh, I mean, I think her, something about this song is so sweet. Just like, I just love that lyric where she's like, um, uh, that she, you know, talking about she's never been to Brooklyn and she wants to kind of discover what he's about. And, and I don't know, something about it is very romantic and it has a really great beat. Yeah, I, I I really dig her. I think maybe part of it why she didn't take off is because this song is kind of the anomaly. A lot of Estelle's music is a lot more mm. muted, a lot more piano and like cabaret style. So if you have a big pop song like this, I think people are going to want you to have another big top 40 kind of bouncy track. And I don't yeah, think she I had mean, I don't one, actually know, you know? A lot, like anything else from her catalog. But like, yeah, this song was a huge hit. Like it's mm-hmm. still... I mean, her vocals on it are really good. The music's really good. No complaints. So I think we are nearing the close. We're each going to pick one more to discuss, and then we'll close the episode. Mm, So what's your final pick for tonight? Um, Okay, so maybe some would argue that the Shins are not a one-hit wonder band, but I think they are, uh, you know... (laughs) Uh, well, you know, the shade. I, actually, I was a big Shins fan for a really long time, so that's mm-hmm. why I, I, I think I, I have a notion that some people would say that they're not. Um, but honestly, like, if you ask me to like name a Shins song now, like this is probably the only one I could like really name off the top of my head. New slang, you know. Same. Um, and. <laughs> For me, like, yeah. I really fell in love with them when I saw them at Siren Festival in 2002, which was, like, the second Siren Festival. Just thought they were so cool, really good songwriting, really cool songs, and I definitely, like, had this, like, 
fresh sound to me, you know, at the time. With that, like, slew of Portland, Oregon bands that came out, like, around the time and became popular, like, Decemberists and Modest Mouse and Sleater Kinney, you know, who, like, Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia was in Sleater Kinney, so... Uh, but they really kind of, I guess, went mainstream with Garden State soundtrack when they were on the Garden State soundtrack in 2004. But the song originally came out in 2001 on their debut, Oh Inverted World. It's still kind of like, you know, it's got like a cool sound to it still. I wouldn't say like I love it anymore, but I think it's just because I kind of fell in lo- out of love with the shins and like james mercer and all of that stuff i don't know i mean he essentially replaced like his whole band so i felt like they weren't the shins anymore like he should have just like mm-hmm. picked another band name you know like i hate when lead singers are like <laughs> i am the band so i mean listen i was for a hot second i was into this album um i think this is a fun track um, for me, it doesn't really stand the test of time, but I was into it. And yeah, obviously the Garden State soundtrack, it was such a pivotal part of that film. I don't know. For some reason, like to me, I just, as a, as a person, as a front man, I just don't find James Mercer interesting at all. I don't know. I, I feel like after this record, I completely lost interest. Although I know that their following record received like some decent buzz. Um, I don't, I don't know. I feel um, like they became... I don't have too uh, much like to their say, earlier really. Music, uh, they, like, there's yeah. still, like, kind of a funness. Like, there's some tracks, like, from before New Slang um, that I used to know. Um, I mean, I knew people that, like, had worked with them, and so they would have access to, like, all these tracks and stuff mm-hmm. from earlier days. And I remember, like, listening to one and being like, oh, this is, like, really fun, and actually, like, never would have thought this was, like, the shins, really, like, the way it was, like, recorded. I mean, it almost sounded like a demo. Maybe it was. And um, I feel like over time, maybe they got too serious or, like, too too into, like, the song. I hate when songs are, like, too obviously into the songwriting or, like, I don't know. There's just, like, not... Mm-hmm. like a realness to them or something like that they're trying too hard and they just kind of like faded away really right i think so i want to say that james mercer had a project oh, yeah. with danger mouse called, that i was not but... into at all that wasn't my thing either i don't know this is one of those rare acts that like i don't know i i don't i i, I for me yeah. it was kind of it yeah. was all kind of boring <laughs> i don't know i don't know i feel like that album as much as i enjoyed it 20 years ago like i have no interest in returning to it um and i don't know just yeah, it, it is I what mean, it is wait, you know wasn't like um i don't know what was uh there's one uh one hit wonder from before that we didn't touch on and was that also a danger mouse thing or yeah it was gnarles barkley CeeLo green and danger mouth I, I i just had to mention it because oh, you mentioned danger mouse and i was like <laughs> Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Barkley too? I don't know. I guess that was his thing, like pairing up with like singers and doing projects and stuff, huh? Um, but I mean, their song mm-hmm. "Crazy" was like a literal one-hit wonder because that was like the only album they released. Um, oh, absolutely. So. And then it turned out that dude was like a sexual predator. So now he, now that song yeah. is like dead yeah. forever. I feel. You know, certain songs yeah. you could just get tinged, yeah. like tarnished, or I should say, with like like scandals yeah. like that. But that, I mean, just quickly going back to that Gnarls Barkley track, that Huge. was a gigantic single. My God, that song was on 
pop radio, R and B radio, hip hop radio. Yeah, that mean, was a gigantic you, you single fifteen years ago. You know, yeah. and um, you know, I would hear it all the time at mm-hmm. karaoke too. That's a huge karaoke track. Sucks when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know the actual person kind of ruins it with like their their bullshit. What about mm-hmm. your last track of the evening? It's funny because in my head before we were recording, I was like, I'm going to end with Paris Hilton. But for some reason, I felt like talking about her earlier on. So I'm going to end with Sam Sparrow, Black and Gold. I'm also, this is another one where I'm shocked that this was his only, like, single, only hit single. For those who don't know Sam Sparrow, he is, I think he's still recording music, an Australian, kind of like a disco pop R&B artist. I mean, if you listen, I feel like you kind of hear elements of various different genres from you know years and decades past and something about this song i thought was really beautiful it's like uh i mean it's about like queer love and just made for the dance floor and something about the production of it it just feels very fresh it's sexy it's a sexy track and i'm kind of bummed that he went nowhere after this i you know when i was doing a little homework into this song because i haven't thought about it in ages i thought it was really funny that i wound up picking estelle as well because apparently when he came to bbc radio one to perform black and gold at the peak of his fame you know they always make them do a cover at bbc radio one and he did estelle american boy so i guess they were you know, big hits, like, just literally yeah, around the I same mean, time, which is kind of funny. I couldn't remember this song. I had to look it up. Um, but I actually liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. It had, like, a really cool, like, bassy mm-hmm. groove to it, which I appreciated. And then I thought, maybe I have a vague memory of it, but I'm not, I'm not no, like, specific memories attached to it or anything like that. I don't know. I guess, like, during my indie rock days, I really wasn't ex- having too many gay nights days <laughs> i wasn't like going to limelight anymore you know so <laughs> oh my god limelight um you know it's funny i was in chelsea fairly recently and i walked by the block that used to have splash on it and it just made me like think of you know I think just anytime you walk by a venue that is no longer there and is now replaced by something cringy like a gym, I don't know, for me, it kind of like, it it, it stings, you know? And I feel like this is, for example, one of the tracks I might have heard at Splash a million years ago or or any of the gay bars or clubs, uh, you know, in the late 2000s. I'm noticing that I have a severe um, lack of like gay club anthems in my, you know, discography, mental discography. (laughs) Like, I'm just like... (laughs) Wait, I don't know that song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think also like, you know, we were going to to gigs and I think sometimes for me, like a night out would be CX Buzz Band at Bowery and then go to a gay bar for a nightcap. So for me, a lot of stuff, I think that's why also I maybe have like some sort of knowledge of, of pop from this era because even though... I feel like my day job, but my night job were two different things. But you know what I mean? Like, uh, I had a very intense knowledge of the indie universe, but then I also, you know, would go to the gay bar and, and dance to Kylie and Sam Sparrow and Britney and everything else and a lot of the stuff we discussed tonight. So for me, they kind of went hand in hand, even though they don't they didn't yeah. really have a yeah. any sort of connection like the, otherwise. Yeah, my gay days you know? were more like late 90s or like college days and oftentimes ending up at a gay night. And then being like, why am I here? Uh, uh-huh. not gonna, never going to find a dude here. Uh, I remember very early on when I would start going to like gay bars and gay nights. And like my good 
friends, my women friends would come with me just because they like wanted to have a good time. And then, I mean, almost always it's like, it's fun for a bit. I think if you're a woman there and then it's kind of like, um, <laughs> everyone is there yeah. to hook up or make out and I'm just standing here, you know, <laughs> at a certain point, it, I think Margaret Cho has a really funny joke <laughs> where she's like, suddenly it reaches dick o'clock and then it's yeah, like done. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you hear like stories still, like, uh, of like my gay friends who like, go out still to bars and party and like they're like and then this happened and then this happened i'm like oh my god i don't think that i can handle that <laughs> i just i'm too old like i just can't you know it just reminds it's like that feeling of like um i never really went to like the hardcore gay bars like where things get like really explicit but like i have definitely had many uncomfortable nights at like the boiler room <laughs> Well, back in the yeah, day, anyway, and it could, also, get, like, could go down that road. Yeah, very few women there back in the <laughs> 90, late 90s. And, like, people just stare at you like, mm-hmm. why are you here? <laughs> get out. Exactly. And I, I never I never thought that was a good look. And to, honestly, to this day, you know, uh, obviously in COVID era, I haven't been to a gay bar in a, in a long time. I always preferred the bars in general, if they were gay or not gay, that were kind of mixed. And, like, it wasn't as segregated. To me, that's kind of it's cringy and to be honest my friends it's it's a fairly even mix of men and women in fact if anything i would say i lean toward having my whole life more women friends than men friends so it's just kind of i always thought that that was not a good look you know i was in that world for a bit because for a long time i worked at a queer publication uh specifically geared toward wealthy white gay men let's be perfectly honest here and a lot of times we'd go to an event and it was just like very fit Chelsea white gay men with money. And I was like, this is fucking boring y'all, you know, but I I think things have changed now um, in terms of just, I don't know. I think things are more mixed now in general. And I I think that's a good thing. 100% but it could be, you know, the rise of like RuPaul's drag race and just like way more like, Mm -hmm. you know, straight white women being like huge fans and then like wanting to, go to the clubs and mm-hmm. like dance to all the same songs that they hear on the show and like hang out with like drag queens and like whatever experience that like kind of gay culture and how huge like pride has gotten and I don't know just like a lot of things in the in the mainstream culture that where it's like more accepted now you know and just like mm-hmm. a lot more mm-hmm. mainstream than it ever was you know even now with like you know pose like the tv show pose and like you know ballroom culture and then um you know hbo max's show legendary where it's like a ball um competition and like i don't know just like just something about i just love seeing stuff like that and you know really kind of telling the story of like how what a struggle it's been and even though we've come so far Mm -hmm. there's still you know, a lot of work to do. And what was that trans disclosure, the trans mm-hmm. documentary? I mean, that was like disclosure crazy. was great. There's so yeah. much stuff in that documentary that I didn't know about. And like, I felt really educated afterwards. And I don't know. I just hope that there, you know, is more understanding and it continues. And, you know, yeah, I think that's one good thing in general from, you know, if you look back at 15, 20 years ago, where things were more separated, I, I feel like Maybe it's also yeah. because of the internet, let's be honest, like that things are more universal and more 
blended now in, in all facets, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to music, when it comes to visual art, performance art. I feel like, you know, even back in the day, if you look and you saw like a band had huge success in the UK, but nothing here, you don't see that as much anymore. And I think it's because, you know, because of streaming and whatnot, everything is kind of international. Nothing is really completely confined to a, to a specific yeah, region or totally. bubble, you know, so it's a good thing. I mean, if you look at the UK charts and the US charts, outside of a few songs, yeah. maybe, like, it's pretty similar, you know? And then if you look at the Italian charts and the French charts, it's all pretty similar, you know, with, like, Cardi B up there and Lil Nas X and whomever else, you know? It's funny yeah. to me because it was never like that back in the day. Yeah, no, but, totally. Uh, it's a, really it's good, good point. Yeah. yeah, this was a fun kind of rewind back to, like, a little era. <laughs> yeah. So So different than 90s one hit wonders, you know, for me and maybe just because those were the happen to be the ages that I would live through each era. But I think something about being a teenager and, you know, and early 20s, perhaps in the in the 90s and then, you know, well within our 20s in the aughts. Somehow I feel like it paired things well, like, uh, I don't know, like in the aughts, like the whole idea of going out and dancing Mm and indie culture, gay culture dance culture and in the 90s like for me being such a radio head so to speak like um i don't know i I, i'm glad i was all that to say i'm glad i was a teenager in the 90s and i'm glad i was having a lot of fun in my 20s in the aughts i feel like it was the right time formative years you know (laughs) i'm sure there was so much we didn't cover but you know and um covered a lot (laughs) oh there's so much there's so much we covered we really did cover a lot we need to uh, end the episode <laughs> so we can listen to Vanessa Carlton on repeat. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Mixtape Memories, and we Bye. will catch you on the flip side. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.